Cape Talk, New Beginnings. Now, it's my great pleasure to welcome in studio today a first-time author recently published by Mojaji Books. She's written a book that could not be more topical, more relevant, or for that matter, more painful to read, but which I think is so important and is going to be so helpful to so many women. So it's a very warm welcome, Michelle Hutting, author of I Am the Girl Who Was Raped. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I want to start by just dispensing with some terminology, if we may, because yes, of course. I know you don't like the term rape survivor, and yes. I'm going to try my very best deliberately <laughs> to untrain my brain and not use it. Why Thanks. don't you like that term? Um, that you know what? I feel like it's become such a politically correct term. Mm. It is not the way anyone actually thinks of you it's just the terminology they learned someplace at some seminar or something mm. that this is the right way to refer to a rape um, victim but you didn't actually survive anything um, you had no choice but to survive mm. so for me personally um, I prefer the term rape victim yeah. okay I'm going to do my best to untrain my brain away <laughs> from the political correctness oh, and use that okay now I mean Michelle this, this this book is is a story of what happened to you what you went through on that night as well as mm. how your life was changed by that event yes. the deep deep irony of the story is that you were raped the very evening that you had delivered your psychology honors paper mm. on rape yes tell yes. us a little bit about what your studies had focused on and and why you chose to do your paper on that topic. Um, I was I feel like like a woman in South Africa, you live with the fear of being raped your whole life. For me personally, it was something since I was a very small girl. It's something that controlled my my thoughts, my actions. Don't go out at night. Don't talk to strangers. Be careful of how you dress. And I was very interested in how not just me, but all the women I knew were so controlled by this fear. And then when I came time to do my psychology honors thesis, I thought maybe I can explore this this from like yeah this in South Africa a bit more. Um, so what I did was I did my research on male discourses, the way men talk about rape. I was tired of rape being a woman's problem, so I wanted to just see how do men make sense of rape when they talk about it. Mm. Um, I discovered a lot of victim blaming in the men. Um, they used make sense of you know the classic why was she there? Why was she drinking? Why was she wearing that? And then, yeah, when I finally worked on my thesis for a whole year, I gave that morning, we gave a presentation, kind of like some a s- summary of everything you'd worked on. And then that evening, when we went to a party to celebrate the th- uh, the, our end of year, then that's when we were raped. I mean, the, uh, the irony is just, just horrendous. No, the irony yeah. is shocking. How many men did you speak to during the course of writing that thesis? I spoke to about 12 men. They mm-hmm. were all male students at Cape Town. Now, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the student angle because obviously mm-hmm. this is very topical right now with the with the students Definitely. grappling with this issue of rape culture on Definitely. campus. And you mentioned in the book that when you were doing your undergraduate studies at Stellenbosch, police actually came to your res to tell you how yes. to avoid being yes. raped. Do you think they ever went to the male residences to tell them no. how not to become rapists? I've never heard I never heard of them going to the male residences, but it was a yearly thing. They called it gang season when sure. there was gang initiation. I don't know if they still do it, but when I was there they used to come once a year and tell us don't walk home by yourself, don't drink too much, don't stay out too late, just mm. kind of policing what we are allowed to do. And as you say, keeping it in the realm of it being a woman's problem, uh, yes, which is what we exactly had to what take you, care not yeah. to get ourselves raped. 
Now, the night itself, you went to a party in Musenberg. Mm. Um, a friend was seeking private advice. You, you walked away from the party down to the beach, yes. and that is where you were attacked. I don't want to dwell too much on the incident itself. You speak about it at length in the book, yes. except to say that, that while reading your description of what happened, you describe a sense of detaching yourself. Of This yes. isn't me that it's happening to. This is not mm. me as somebody's daughter, somebody's friend. Yes. Psychologically, I know that that must have helped you to survive the ordeal. But in a way, did it make it more difficult afterwards to have to sort of reconnect with yourself and 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 absorb what had happened? I'm not. Um, I don't think I experienced it like that. I think what happened to me in that moment was the only way I could cope with it was by detaching myself. There wasn't ever. Um, I think I came back to my body, not came back to my body in some airy fairy way. Just like I allowed myself to experience what was happening again once I was in the police station, mm. and my friend said, um, "Michelle, it's important for you to feel this." Um, she was a rape. Um, she was a counselor at the rape crisis center for um, a mm. long time, and that's when I allowed myself to feel it again. And then from there, you kind of, you can't predict what you're going to feel. The one day you feel numb, the next day you feel angry and sad, and then it just goes from there. Mm. You did, though, state that you had the sense very, very soon mm. after the attack of never being yourself again, that you were yes. forever in yes. some way marked by what had happened. Definitely. Uh, you know what? Um, I, do, I didn't want it to be real, and I don't think I realized the extent of it, but I knew it was just, it was like this horrible black feeling inside myself that even though my brain hadn't processed it yet, everything else inside me knew I, I'm not the same anymore. Mm. Hence the title of the book, I Am the Girl Who Was yes. Raped. Yes. The most gut-wrenching thing to read in this book is how poorly you were treated by both the police mm. and the medical officials afterwards. And I mean, we hear so often, I can't think how many times I've mm. spoken to rape crisis, I've spoken to, to rape survivors and to rape victims, and they've, they've said there is a lack of sensitization mm. with the people who are your first encounter after the attack. Yes. You were left in a cold room in a police station. Mm. It took hours to take your statement. There was very little emotional support. There was nominally a female police officer given to you to take your statement. Mm. And then you were taken to hospital finally, and a nurse comments that you were stupid to go to the beach alone yes, at night. Yes. And you actually took her on immediately when you heard her say that, which I, I was kind of reaching for you <laughs> when, I, when I got to that part in the book because I wanted to shout into the page, how could you say that? Yes. But there's your first experience of the victim blaming that you yes. spoke about. It is. It's very damaging. Um, the experience of going to the police station and the hospital took about nine hours. The rape itself only took about an hour. It caused a lot of secondary trauma. Um, there was an, an extreme lack of compassion. Mm. Um, and when right after this horrible thing happens to you, your first point of order is people with a lack of compassion, people who victim blame you. You're so raw, you can't help but take it on. Mm. Because these are the people who are supposed to be the professionals. These are the people who are supposed to know. Um, it was just, it was, it was horrible. Yes. <laughs> The people who are supposed to know, and I mean, the fact is, in this country, mm. there are people with loads of experience in dealing with yes. this. And it's horrible that they still make use of victim blaming to make sense of it. Um, it was ridiculous because just that morning, I was talking about how we shouldn't make, sen make use of victim blaming and how wrong victim blaming is. And I was mm. explaining it to this room full of people, you know, why it is so wrong and trying to help them make sense of it. And then that evening after it happened, um, the nurse victim blamed me. She was like... What are you guys? What were you guys doing there? You know how the world is, 
and immediately I thought that is the truth. Like mm. she knows what she's talking about. She deals with this. Like she's the one telling me the truth. So it was a complete, I didn't even believe what I knew mm. to be true. That's the thing. I mean, you'd studied and specialized mm. in your studies in, in, in the breaking down of yes. the rape myths. And then exactly. the moment they were turned on you, you internalized them. I internal all that academic knowledge didn't help me once mm. I became, once I was raped. Let's talk about the police and then I want to leave mm. them behind and forget the part of the story that you experienced <laughs> at the hands of the police. But, I mean, they, they took evidence. There was evidence mm. that was collected. Yes. You never heard from them again. I didn't. Um, I was also too raw to follow up myself. Mm. Um, I thought they would contact my mom, but we never heard from them again, no. So to this day, and how many years ago was this, Michelle? It's five years. Five years. So in five mm. years, you've never had a phone call to say? No, not yet. Sure. What an indictment. And a further indictment is the fact that you did, in the process uh, of your recovery and looking for, for mm -hmm. help and somewhere to speak, you went looking for support. You went looking for a support group mm -hmm. where you could find other women who had been through what you had been through to be. Yes. You really struggled. I really struggled. I thought it would be a lot easier. Um, I think that's a consequence of rape still being so taboo in South Africa. And even though we hear all of these horrific numbers, to us they are just numbers we struggle to realize that it's happening to you and me. Um, and one of the responses I used to get a lot was like, this doesn't happen to girls like us, which was horrific to think that, you know, it was just a horrific statement to hear. And I think so many um, people who survive rape, they have taken on so much blame and shame. They get blamed by the people around them. They blame themselves and they have to carry so much shame they don't want to seek help. They don't want to go to the police. Mm. And that leaves all of us kind of living in our own little bubbles instead of being able to stand together and support mm. each other. You know, what strikes me here is that you were in the position where what had happened to you looked at least what mm. people think rape looks like, the stranger yes, the in stranger a dark place. Whereas we know the fact is that for most people, their rapist is somebody they know. It might be somebody living Definitely. under their own roof. It might be their own mm. spouse. Um, and the fact that even you, with the sort of more typical picture mm. to put to it, struggled to find mm. help is very, very scary. I mean, let's talk about, about the aftermath. I mean, physically, you would have been mm. on antiretroviral treatments. Yes. You had to, to get through day after day. But talk to us about psychologically the space you were in in the, the days and weeks after your rep. It's, it's hard. Um, there's no sense-making process. Um, there's no funeral to plan. I wasn't injured enough to be in the hospital to recover physically. There was, I didn't know what to do next. There was, my sister died a couple of years previously and immediately after she died, everyone came together and the whole community came together and we planned the memorial service. There was an opp opportunity to say goodbye. And then I was so damaged and I'd lost so much, but no one knew what to say to me. Mm. And we couldn't even, I didn't even want to tell a lot of people. Um, I think there's just so much shock and confusion going in. One of the biggest things I struggled with was hyper-awareness where mm. any man who came close to me, I would just start getting panic attacks and I couldn't be left alone with men for a really long time. Mm. I mean, you described going, starting your first job and... Mm. and being in a lift when the doors on the lift close and it's you and another man in the lift somebody you don't know but that yes. you immediately felt fearful and i would i would think horrible things like um going up in the lift and thinking like 
it's only seven floors. He can't rape me in seven floors. Mm-hmm. And But what if both of them team up? And it was horrible because I worked on something like the 13th floor. <laughs> there was a lot of sure, waiting yeah. and standing around by myself wondering. And I was every single day for about six months. It didn't stop. It didn't get easier. Did you go for therapy afterwards? You know, I'd, um, I'd been in therapy for most of my life. And I did psychology honors. Mm-hmm. And then I've also been writing. And for me, writing was my catharsis. Mm-hmm. Writing was my... I had a lot of tools just from my background. And I didn't want to immediately talk about it to someone. Mm. I wanted to make sense of it by myself, which is why I started writing. So for me, that was my healing process. If you've just joined us, um, the voice you're hearing belongs to Michelle Hutton, who is a first-time author, the author of I Am the Girl Who Was Raped, published by Mojaji uh, Publishers. And uh, sharing with us the story of her rape and, and her decision to move on after that rape and and the emotions she felt the 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 journey she has walked Mm -hmm. since then it is a book that really attacks a lot of the myths around rape michelle which is why i think it's so important that it should be read and read widely because you constantly challenge that that Mm -hmm. that sense of of what leads to rape what causes race rape, Mm -hmm. what women do to contribute to the rape problem and you turn the tables on that instead of push back against Mm -hmm. it which i love susan proctor hume has just uh, tweeted saying respect to michelle this is a global epidemic the police should be brought to justice i mean is that how do you feel i mean we've we've said that the police yes basically took your statement caused Mm -hmm. all kinds of secondary trauma and then you never heard from them again is it something you've ever considered now that a bit of time has passed Mm -hmm following up on have you ever thought of walking back to that police mm. station and saying do you know what you actually did to me that night you know what um of course i want them to be brought to justice of course i want justice to be served but i also won't let my life be ruled by anger and fear and what have you guys done to me and what have the rapists mm. done to me i'm I, i'm choosing to move on i would do you think i will follow up um, but for now, where I'm at, and that's completely okay, I'm moving on in my own way, which is just taking control and ownership of my story. Mm. Now, a friend said to you, I know at some point, you must not think that this rape uh, defines you. And your response to mm. her was that it does define me. Yes. You want to talk to us a little bit about what um, you meant there? Yes. Um, you know, what? I, I, I don't know why, but it really annoyed me when people told me your rape doesn't define you when I felt in every pore of my being that I'm the girl who was raped. And then I realized why it annoyed me was because I chose how it defined me. Um, I can choose whether it's, it gets me down or whether I take this, I claim this, and I move on and I become better. Uh, you become better at way too great a cost, but you mm. do become better. So I was just like, by for me, my way of making sense of it was in a way embracing that definition Mm. of myself and taking ownership of it and being like i'm the girl who was raped and i'm okay Mm. must have taken a long time for you to be able to say that michelle well it's been five years and i've Mm. only started saying it recently so yes it's taken a long time your mom was the person that you wanted by Mm -hmm. your side immediately after it happened and your mom has clearly been an absolute pillar of strength to you uh, through this but an interesting thing that really made me think in your book was talking about the impact on her and the damage to her and the pain that yes. she went through, which is yes. not some, a part of the story that's often told. No, it's not. I mean, even less. So a rape um, victim or survivor story is really told. And even less than that is the impact it has on the people around them. It causes extreme trauma in the people around them, especially because 
the rape um, survivor or victim herself, she doesn't know what's going on in her head one day to the next. Mm -hmm. And they don't know how to be there for you. They're just trying to keep up to what you're feeling. And I do think my mom carried an immense burden on her trying to help me and be there for me while her child was raped. Mm. Um, Yeah, she's an incredibly strong woman. And I'm, you know, I respect her a lot. It's clearly rubbed off. It has to be said, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we are chatting to Michelle Hutting, the author of I'm the Girl Who Was Raped. If, if you want to say something to her or ask a question or share part of your story with her, you are welcome to pick up the phone and dial 021-446-0567. You can also send an SMS to 31567 or tweet us at Cape Talk. Um, you know, Michelle, I have to ask, I mean, you, you talked to mm-hmm. us about being in a lift with men and the fear you felt immediately afterwards. Yes. Ha- has that changed? Five years down the yes. line, are you able to, to find something like a normal way of, of, of reacting and, and interacting with men again? Yes. I have a boyfriend of mm-hmm. two years now. Um, he's here, sitting right over there, <laughs> supporting <friend>. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's been wonderful. He's taught me to trust men again. And I have to say, um, I've also been surrounded by so many wonderful men and I've had the support of so many wonderful men that you just can't keep thinking about men in one way it didn't change overnight mm. but I've yeah I found love and I've trust mm. and yeah that did come back and I'm very glad it did I am too how I mean how do you feel about your rapist today do you do you think about him every day is it something that occupies your mm-hmm. mind all the time no it's not it, it used to be um, it's also one of those things that obviously I'm still, I was scared for a long time that he would come back and finish the job. Mm. Um, you do live in fear for a long time, but I do also think with time comes that perspective of I don't want to let him rule my life and I'm going to take, do what I need to do for me. Mm. And that has been rebuilding a, a life. You you are working in media now at Associated Magazines yes, for Marie Claire. Yes. And um, how, I mean, going into a new job like that, uh, obviously the title of your book is a declaration, <laughs> I am the girl who was raped. But yes. how, I mean, how, when do you make the decision to talk about it, to not talk about it? It was something you grappled mm. with in the early days, I know. Yes. Partly wanting nobody to know, partly wanting everyone, everyone to know. Mm. How, what's it like in, in, in a new workplace? It's weird. <laughs> It's not easy. Um, I think telling my boss, um, well, I was working after hours, obviously, on my book, and I kind of just had to tell them that, Mm -hmm. you know, because I work online on social media, so I have to be available 24-7, so I just had to let them know that, you know, I also have this other thing going on. And I think after I told my boss, it kind of, no, it wasn't easy, I'm lying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was still difficult and weird every time, so you're like pouring your coffee in the morning and someone's like, what did you do this weekend? Like, no, I worked on my book. Uh, What's your book about? Oh, you know, I was raped. And then the conversation just stops. (laughs) So it's it's hard, but I think it's good because I've just received such an overwhelmingly positive response and people just being like, wow, we should do this more often. We should Mm -hmm. actually acknowledge it and talk about it more. And I mean, the chances are that in that office space around you are probably many other women who've been mm. through it as well. It's it's actually scary how since I've started sharing my story, how many women have come up to me and how many women felt that they didn't have a voice and still feel that way. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's horrific. Mm. 
Michelle, I know I wanted to ask you about uh, one of the things which really helped you mm. find a way forward, and that was horse therapy, uh, which yes. is something that might be quite <laughs> foreign. I mean, it was, I'd heard of it, but it was the first yes. time I'd read about somebody actually going through through it. Do you want to just chat to us about what that yes. made, difference it made um, for you? Healing for me has always, um, animals have always played a big part in my life, and um, they helped me so much with healing, and I think it's just how pure they are and how they work on instincts and how mm-hmm. they respond to your emotions. There's no convoluted um, politeness or, you know, like, I don't know, just cultural norms of how they're supposed to interact with mm-hmm. you. It's just pure. And what was amazing is um, obviously my mom is a psychologist and she works in the psychology community and she had this friend who has a farm called Healing with Horses. Mm-hmm. And she just said, Michelle, you're going. And I kind of didn't have a choice. I flew across the country and it was just, it was amazing. It's its a very, very hard to describe the experience unless you go there. Mm. But if in any way you love animals or in any way, if you've been through something and you need closure and you love animals, it's something I would 1000% recommend. Okay. You know, one of the most telling passages in your book is where you talk about how the rape has changed you and and you say that it is stripped away all the parts Mm. that were unnecessary and stripped away and you've referenced it now in saying that the horses don't have those the sense of niceties of saying Mm. the right thing and you you mentioned this at the start when you talked about that term rape survivor that you feel Mm. it's kind of the done thing to use the term and doesn't really mean anything beyond that Mm. is that you know what this has done it's it's in a way helped you find a way to be yourself and and not feel the need to please others to live up to others expectations and you know that that's not like a linear thing like you suddenly have power over your life and Mm. then you have that for the rest of your life um you know it's something you have to work on every day is just remembering what happened to you and what it taught you about life and kind of reclaiming that. Every time I talk about it, I feel like I become more in control and I'm more powerful and I care a bit less about Mm. what everyone else thinks of me. I mean, you've said that from from day one, writing was one Mm. of your outlets and one of the things that that saved you. At what point did you realize that that this was something that you were prepared to publish and to share with everybody else, that you were actually working on Mm. a book as well as your own therapy? I think it was about halfway through when I tried to find a rape support group and I couldn't. And I realized, wow, maybe this is something I should share for other women who's going through the same thing. Mm. And that's when I started paying attention to what I was writing. And I was like, let's relook at this. How can this be a story? How can I share this? It must be pretty scary, though, to put it all out there like this and say, here we go. It's published. And now everybody knows. It is scary. It's very scary. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm scared a lot of the time. Yeah, but it's also great. It's also one of the best times of my life. You've been pretty brave sitting here today, Michelle. Thank has to be you. Said. Um, I just I think it's a, it's a book that any adult woman in South Africa needs to read. Um, Thank and you. I'm going to keep it in, in a few years, give it to my daughter to read as well. Amazing. Uh, obviously, and share this around in the hopes that we never have to deal with the story, exactly. the knowledge that yes. many of our friends already have. Exactly. So, Michelle, thank you for writing it. And thank, thank you, you for, for sharing me. your story with us today. Michelle Hutting. Of course. I'm the Girl Who Was Raped is the name of the book, and it's published by uh, Mojaji Books. Uh, is it in stores already? I it's, know you've just um, launched. I just launched on Thursday. Yeah. Um, so it's at the book lounge already, and you can find it online at Mojaji, their website. And then it'll be spread to take a lot on Amazon soon. Make sure you start on a day when you have a lot of free time. Because <laughs> I, I read it in one sitting. Michelle, thanks so much thank for being so with us. Thank you so much for having luck. me.